sitting across our great state, from our home to your home. Welcome to First Baptist Church of Columbia, South Carolina. Come, worship with us. Join Dr. Wendell Estep as he brings the Word of God and shares the life-changing message of the Lord Jesus with you and your family.
sing together a wonderful, wonderful song written by Keith and Kristen Getty. And they're going to be here with us on February the 14th, so make a note of that so that you can be here for that wonderful day in Christ alone. so much everyone may be seated and we will continue to worship now through baptism.
We're blessed today to have two cousins who have been attending of our church recently. This is Douglas Green, and both of them have told me about their personal relationship with Christ. Douglas, do you know Jesus Christ to be your personal Lord and Savior? Douglas, it is my joy to baptize you as my brother in Christ. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This is his cousin, Perry Edmonds. Perry, do you know Jesus Christ to be your personal Lord and Savior? Perry, because of your confession of faith, it is my joy to baptize you as my brother in Christ. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Father, thank you for these two young men following in obedience to believers' baptism after they trusted Christ. Thank you so much for a church family that gives so generously so we can support missions and ministries here in Columbia and throughout the world. Give through us to your honor and glory in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you so much, Bill. Well, we're glad you're here today. Let me just uh, remind you that though we may have uh, conditions that would warrant Sunday school being uh, called off, we will never call off our church service. So just remember that. If the pastor has to preach to me and I have to sing to him, we'll do that. But we'll always be here on Sunday for our worship service. So just keep that in the, in the reminder when we have our many weeks of snow and bad weather and we buy our bread and our milk. So we're glad you're here today. And let's all stand and say to one another, I hope you have enough milk to make it through the day.
sure glad you've joined us today here at First Baptist Church in Columbia, South Carolina. Let me tell you about something that is coming up on February the 14th. February the 14th, 6 o'clock p.m. here in our sanctuary. We're going to have a wonderful evening with Keith and Kristen Getty, uh, some of their friends, instrumentalists that will come with them in our choir and our orchestra. You will not want to miss this evening, 6 o'clock p.m. on February the 14th. Now, the Gettys have written some of the most prolific modern day, as we call them, hymns, The Power of the Cross and Christ Alone. Just wonderful songs, and we hope you'll come and join us. You will be blessed February the 14th at 6 o'clock p.m. here in our sanctuary. Well, once again, we thank you for being with us today. We really do. And we trust now that the Lord will bless and touch your heart in a wonderful way as we continue to worship together.
me ask you to join with me in a time of prayer. So as we bow our heads, knowing that there are a lot of needs represented in our church family, in our city, our state, around this world. If you'd like to get together with just two or three people next to you and have a time of prayer, feel free to do that. If you don't feel comfortable, don't. But if you'd like to just spend a little bit of time with some people there next to you, then why don't you do that? Then I'll pray in just a moment. sing in the presence of Jehovah. What an awesome thought. And yet we know that we are always in your presence. You are omnipresent, omniscient. Lord, there's not anything you don't know, nothing that you don't see. And Lord, we come to you today as our God, our Redeemer, our friend, our Savior, Sufficient for every need, loving and kind, merciful, gracious. You are worthy of our praise, worthy of our worship. And so, Lord, as we come to you today, we lift up those things that are on our hearts. There are some who are ill. They have loved ones who are ill. Some in the hospital. Some struggling at home. I pray for them, Father. I lift them to you, and I ask that you extend to them your grace, your healing. Be with those who are bereaved. I pray, Father, that you would comfort them. For those who are discouraged, that you would encourage them. Especially it's our prayer that those who have never come to know the Lord Jesus, that they might. Father, thank you for the blessed promise that we are always in your presence. Father, thank you for the promise that you are always sufficient to meet our needs. And so we lift these needs to you. And I pray, Father, that today our worship will be acceptable to you, that it might be from our hearts. Not just going through the motions, but, Lord, that we might really be touched of your Holy Spirit, that you will be glorified, I ask in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen.
That was rather tepid. If we're going to do it, let's follow. Y'all did a good job. Let me take just a moment to speak to our members who were not able to get here this morning. Uh, the weather report is that the roads will probably be clear about the time service is ending. So if you need to get out for something this afternoon, I think that you're going to be able to do that. But I did want to give that update to you. There have been those times throughout our history when there was great despair and a seeming hopelessness. I remember the Watergate era when a sitting president had to resign his office. And the disappointment, the sense of hopelessness and despair that permeated our society. I remember the Vietnam War. Our boys were sent to fight a war in Vietnam, and then many of our leaders did not support them when their lives were in jeopardy. And there was a sense of despair, of hopelessness that permeated our society. It seems to me that we have come to such a time once again. I know that we are early in the stages of a new year, which is usually very optimistic. When we come to a new year, there is great optimism and anticipation that a new year has come and there is opportunity available to us and so forth. And yet it seems to me today that there is not that sense of hope that normally accompanies a new year. We have lost confidence in our government. Chuck Colson wrote an article saying, only one quarter of Americans approve of the job Congress is doing. Less than one-third of Americans believe the country is headed in the right direction. So there is a sense of, of despair or there is a loss of hope concerning the government. The re recent breaches in security has done much to damage our confidence in being protected there is 10% unemployment in our country, and we are told that if those who have stopped looking for a job are factored in, then that exceeds 15%. But the thing, I guess, that troubles me most is that it seems that God's people, Christian people, also have that same sense of despair or hopelessness. I speak to a lot of Christians today, and and don't sense a great deal of optimism about the future, not a great deal of hope concerning the future. And ladies and gentlemen, those who know the Lord should never be without hope. Because we are never under the circumstances, we are in Christ. The psalmist declared, be strong and let your heart take courage, all you who hope in the Lord. If we know the Lord, we are never without hope. One of my favorite stories in the Old Testament is the story of Jehoshaphat. They were surrounded by several armies, and when Jehoshaphat looked and he saw his inability to combat those who had come against him, he called the people together for a time of prayer, and as he prayed, he said, Oh, our God, wilt thou not judge them? For we are powerless before this great multitude who are coming against us. Nor do we know what to do, but our eyes are on Thee. And ladies and gentlemen, that is the key. God, we might not know what to do, and we might be powerless to stand against the enemy that comes against us, but our eyes are on Thee. And that's where our hope lies. There is the story in the Old Testament of Ezra who was going back with some of the captives to Jerusalem to rebuild the wall and the temple that had been destroyed. When he got there, he discovered that the people, those who had preceded them, had intermarried with the people of the land. And Ezra called them to turn back to God. And in Ezra chapter 10, the scripture says, And Shechaniah the son of Jehiel, one of the sons of Elam, answered and said to Ezra, We have been unfaithful to God and have married foreign women from the peoples of the land. Yet now there is hope for Israel 
in spite of this. I, I like that. When he said, I know that we have sinned against God and we now are aware of our sin against God. We have been unfaithful, untrue to the Word of God. And yet in spite of this, there is hope because of our God. Today we're going to look at a passage of Scripture in which a woman lost hope and then she found it in God. Take your Bibles, turn with me to 2 Kings chapter 4, beginning in verse number 1. Now a certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets cried out to Elisha, Your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that your servant feared the Lord. And the creditor has come to take my two children to be his slaves. And Elisha said to her, What shall I do for you? Tell me, what do you have in the house? And she said, Your maidservant has nothing in the house except a jar of oil. Then he said, Go borrow vessels at large for yourself from all your neighbors, even empty vessels. Do not get a few. And you shall go in and shut the door behind you and your sons and pour out into all these vessels, and you shall set aside what is full. So she went from him and shut the door behind her and her sons. They were bringing the vessels to her, and she poured. And it came about when the vessels were full that she said to her son, Bring me another vessel. And he said to her, There is not one vessel more. And the oil stopped. Then she came and told the man of God, and he said, Go sell the oil and pay your debt, and you and your sons can live on the rest. Now, when we look at this woman, her situation appears to be hopeless. Her husband had died. In verse number 1, she said, Your servant, my husband, is dead. Josephus wrote that her husband was a prominent prophet, and now he was dead, which left this woman in a state of despair. Her security was gone because her husband had been her security, and now he is dead. And as I read the story, it seems to me that there is a certain amount of confusion with her, which is common when bad things happen to good people. When those people who have been good people, as far as we are concerned, experience bad things in life, then it always leaves us somewhat confused. And this husband had been a good man. He was a good man. Not only that, he was a godly man. The widow referred to him as one who feared the Lord. So when I look at this woman and the despair, the lack of hope that she had, her husband had died. And then there are the demands of the creditors in verse number 1. The creditor has come to take my two children to be his slaves. Albert Barnes wrote, The law of Moses recognized servitude for debt and allowed the pledging of the debtor's person, which in a rude state of society is regarded as the safest and most natural security. In the present case, it would seem that so long as the debtor lived, the creditor had not enforced his right over his sons. But now, on his death, he claimed their services to which he was by law entitled. So whenever we look at this family, they had lived poor and they died in debt. And the creditors had come to take away her sons to fulfill the obligation. Desperate situation. There was no hope. Her husband was gone. Her security was gone. The creditor was at the door to take her sons into slavery, which was their right. There was no hope, and so she sought God. That's not unusual. Oral Roberts said, when you come to the end of your rope, tie a knot and hang on. God might have hold of the other end. It was out of hopelessness that she turned to God. Folks, is that not true with you? When it seems that there is no place else to turn, then we begin to turn to God. And I think sometimes that's the reason that we find ourselves in hopeless situations, to bring us to the place where there is no place else to turn. This woman had lost hope. Her husband died. The creditors were coming to take her sons, and so she turned to God. Now, Elisha asked her two probing questions. 
The first is, what do you want? Verse number two. And Elisha said to her, what shall I do for you? Now, you see, the question is about want, not need, because want speaks of your heart. Need does not necessarily say anything about your heart, but want does. What do you want? This woman's need was obvious. Her husband had died. Her sons were about to be taken into slavery. So her need was obvious, but the question posed to her is, but what do you want? That's a good question because it reveals so much. As I was looking at this passage of Scripture, I thought about Job. And you know the story about Job, how he lost everything. He lost his children. He lost his, his riches. He lost his health. He lost everything. What did he want during that? What did he want? Well, according to Job, he said, I want to stand before God and argue my case. In other words, he said, I want to ask God why this is happening to me. What have I done? This seems to be unfair to me. And he said, so I want to stand before God and argue my case. Have you ever been there? Lord, why is this happening to me? What I would like to do is to stand before God and ask Him why this is happening to me. What do you want, Job? He said, I want to argue my case before God. Interesting question. John and James were asked the same question in Mark chapter 10, verses 35 and 36. And James and John, the two sons of Zebedee, came up to him saying to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? There's that same question. What is it that you want? Well, we know what they asked for. They said, well, when you come into your kingdom, we would want one to sit on your right hand and one to sit on your left hand. And I know that there's been a lot of criticism about John and James for that request. I don't criticize them a lot, to be honest with you, because I'm impressed that they wanted something spiritual. They said, we would like to sit one on your right hand and one on your left when you come into your kingdom. So you don't have to straighten me out after the service is over. That's just my position. You might be right. Who knows? But that's just my position. I was impressed that they wanted something within the kingdom of God. So that impresses me. What about Paul? What was the desire of his heart? Paul, what is it that you want? What is the desire of your heart? Well, he tells us in Romans chapter 10, verse 1, Brethren, my heart's desire and my prayer to God for them is for their salvation. Paul, what do you want? He said, I want to see the, my people saved. I want to see them come to know God. That's the desire of my heart. That's my heartbeat. I want people to know Christ. My desire is that they might be saved. Well, let me ask you, what is it that you want? I don't answer the question, but I do want you to think about it. What, what do you really want? Not what do you need, but what do you really want? There are some, if you were to be candid, would probably say, well, you know, I want fame because it seems that there are a lot of people who want to be famous today, and some people are famous for being famous. I mean, what does Paris Hilton do? She's just famous for being famous. And then there's all these reality shows. I, I was over at the Family Life Center not long ago, and people were over there and, and uh, working out, and I heard these two ladies, they were talking, and they were talking about John and Kate, and they, I thought, well, maybe that's someone in their Sunday school class, and they were talking about John and Kate. I had no idea who John and Kate, and I kept listening, and then I said, well, they must not be in their Sunday school class. I said, who's John and Kate? You don't know who is John and Kate? I, no, I don't know who that is. Well, they have a television show. Oh, what do they Is it a drama? What do they do? Do they sing? What do they do? Well, they have a bunch of kids. You get a television program for having a bunch of kids, for heaven's sake? But there are a lot of people who just want to be famous today, you know, and they're famous for having a bunch of kids. I guess I don't know. I've never seen the show. I understand they're not together anymore, but that's, uh, I guess that's an, another. What do you want? Well, some would say that I, I would like to be famous. Some of you might say, you know, I'd really, to be honest, I'd really like to be rich. I'd like to be wealthy. Now, that was the rich young ruler who came to Jesus, and Jesus said to him, 
You should give, and it was just to him. This is not a general principle. It was to him because it was the thing that stood between he and Jesus. Jesus said to him, you need to take what you have and give to, to those who are poor. And the Bible says that he went away sorrowful because he was very rich. And, and, and it might be that riches is the one thing that is keeping you from the Lord. Because that is your desire. That's what you want. I want to be wealthy. You know, folks, I pray that, that if we get down inside our hearts and we were to ask ourselves the question, what is it that I really want? Now, what do I need? But what do I want? That you and I would be able to say, more than anything else, I want to know God. More than anything else, my heart cries out to know Him, to walk with Him. The psalmist said, my soul longed and even yearned for the courts of the Lord. Is that your desire? My soul longs for the courts of the Lord. The psalmist in chapter 143 said, I stretch out my hands to thee, my soul longs for thee as a parched land. I want that to be my desire. God, more than anything else, I I really want to long for you as a parched land desires water. I I want you. I have to confess that I'm not always there. There are those times in my life when that is the the cry of my heart. God, I want to know you. I want to walk with you. I want to know you better. But I pray that that will become more common in my life, that I desire God more than I desire anything else. Then he asks the question, what do you have? In verse number 2b, Tell me, what do you have in your house? And she said, your maidservant has nothing in the house except a jar of oil. You see, God will meet our needs, but he uses what we have. What do you have in your house? And she said, well, I've got a little jar of oil, which is believed to have been anointing oil. She said, that's all I have. I don't have much. That's all I have. You know what this says to me, though, as I read that? Everybody has something. I was watching Charles Stanley uh, a couple of weeks ago, and I think it was, and he was talking about a fundraiser that they were having in their church in Atlanta. And uh, he said there was a young couple that came and said, uh, as they came to him, they said, we want to give you this ring because it was her wedding ring, a little gold band. He said, it's all we have. And he said, well, we can't take that. They said, no, God has told us to give it, and we want to give it. And Charles said, so we took that. And he said, I shared the story, and God used that. That's all they had. God used that to raise millions of dollars in that program. Because it was, it was a, a young couple who came and said, this is all we have. But that's what we want to get. Everybody has something. And we start with what we have. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 8, For if the readiness is present, it is acceptable according to what a man has, not according to what he does not have. So everybody has something, and we start with that. You say, well, I don't have anything. I don't have any money and so forth. Okay. What do you have? Do you have a work ethic? That will go a long way in this society. Do you have a work ethic? Do you have a positive attitude? Are you creative? What has God given to you? See, that's the thing. A lot of times we think only in terms of how much money we have in the bank. No, everybody has something. Start with that. Make that available to God. Because when we give what we have to God, then God can do great things through it. You know the story of David, and he went against Goliath. All he had was a sling, five river rocks. In fact, Saul looked at him and he said, you know, maybe you can wear my, my armor. And he said, no, it doesn't fit me. But all he had was a sling and some river rocks. And, but that was enough. That was enough because he made it available to God. You remember the story in the New Testament about the little boy? Whenever Jesus was feeding the multitude and he said to the disciples, what do the people have? Is there anything here? And they came back and said, well, we found this one little boy. He had a couple of fish and five loaves of bread. But what is that among so many people? Jesus said, that'll be enough. And he took what he had and fed the multitude, thousands of people, and there was food left over. You remember the story about the widow who only had two mites? 
But she gave it to the Lord, and it was enough to become an example that still encourages us today. What, do you have? Well, what it says to me is that everybody has something. We give what we have to the Lord, no matter what it is. And it's enough when we put it in the hands of the Lord. Now, third thing I see is the response of hope. And Vines defines hope as favorable and confident expectation. You know, a lot of times we say, well, I hope it doesn't rain. Or I hope it does rain. We don't have any confidence at all that that's going to happen. But this means a confident expectation. So as I look at this desperate widow, I see she responded with confident expectation. Now, she, we see her faith in action there in verse number 3. Then he said, go borrow vessels at large for yourself from all your neighbors, even empty vessels. Do not get a few. Did you see that word go? Because faith is always active. Faith is never passive. We understand faith too often as being a passive state. No, it is always active. In fact, in my devotional time this morning, I was reading in James chapter 1, and he said that we are not to be a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer. Faith is not passive. Faith is active. He said, go. In a couple of weeks, we're going to look at a story about a famine that was in Samaria. And the people were starving to death. They were surrounded by the Arameans, and the people were starving to death, no supplies coming to them. In fact, they were practicing cannibalism. And there were four lepers who were debating as to what they should do. What, what are we going? And well, we could go over to the camp of the Arameans, and maybe they'll put us in jail, or maybe they'll have some food. We're not sure what's going to happen to us over there, but the prospects are not great. But then they said, but why do we sit here until we die? We do. Faith always is going. Faith is always doing. Because faith is active, it is never passive. He said, go and then borrow. That's, that carries with it a sense of urgency. Don't wait until everything's worked out. He said, borrow. A lot of times we don't do what God is leading us to do because uh, the time is not good. The time is not right. You know, we can't do that because the economy being what it is, the uncertainty, and so all those things, you know. Well, is there ever a good time? I don't recall one. I don't, I don't recall there ever being a good time to do something bold. So there's that sense of urgency. He said, go, active. He said, borrow, urgency, and not a few. That's expectation. Faith expects great things from God. So I look at this woman and I see that she had faith in her, see her faith in action, but her faith was in God. It's important that we have faith, but the object of our faith is even more important. It's good to have faith, but in what do you place your faith? See, that, that's really important. Where is your faith? What are you trusting? Who are you trusting? So this woman's faith was in God. She had to get along with God. Verse number 4, And you shall go in and shut the door behind you and your sons and pour out into all these vessels, and you shall set aside what, uh, what is full. So she went from him and shut the door behind her and her sons. Get along with God. Well, we really need to get along with God, ladies and gentlemen. We, let, me, let me suggest something to you. Take some time and turn off Fox News and ESPN and John and Kate and get along with God. Spend some time with Him. Some of us are never going to spend any time with the Lord until we first of all turn off the television. We need to get along with Him. The next thing I notice is what you believe will determine how you prepare. Look at verse number 5 again. So she went from him, shut the door behind her and her sons. They were bringing the vessels to her. She poured, and it came about when the vessels were full that she said to her son, Bring me another vessel. And he said to her, There is not one vessel more, and the oil stopped. You see, her faith determined the collection of the vessels. And the blessing was determined by her preparation. We ought to prepare according to our faith in God. If we really believe God is going to send revival, we ought to prepare for it. If we really believe that God is going to do something, then we should prepare for it. And then this woman was blessed of God. Look in verse number 7. 
Then she came and told the man of God, and he said, go sell the oil and pay your debt. Now, her needs were met, but beyond that it continues, and you and your sons can live on the rest. Her future was secured. So her needs were met. Her future was secured as she responded in hope. story begins with a woman who is hopeless. Her vessels are empty, but empty vessels in the hands of God are opportunities for God. Ladies and gentlemen, we need some empty vessels. First of all, we need to be emptied of sin because you can never be filled with God if you're filled with sin. We need to be emptied of self because if you're full of self, you cannot be full of God. George Mueller said, there was a day when I died. I died to George Mueller. His opinions, his preferences, his taste, his will. I died to the world and its approval. Since then, I have studied only to be approved unto God. We need to be emptied of self. We need to be emptied of substitutes, those things that have become substitutes for God. For some of us, that's busyness. And so we're busy, but no blessings. For some of us, that's work that has become a substitute for worship. And we think if we just work, then God is going to be pleased when He desires our worship. When we are emptied of sin, emptied of self, emptied of substitutes, then God can fill us. Joyce Holliday tells of a school teacher assigned to visit children in a large hospital. The teacher was given the name of a boy who was in a hospital that she was to go to and help with his nouns and adverbs while he was there. When she got to the hospital, she discovered that the boy was badly, badly burned. And she said, I was shocked, but I could not turn and walk away. So she said to the boy, I'm the hospital teacher, and your teacher sent me to help you with nouns and adverbs. Well, because of the pain and so forth, the boy could not concentrate. He could not do much of his work and so forth. So it was not very productive. But the next day when the teacher came back to the hospital, the nurse caught her and said, What did you do to that boy? Ever since you came, his attitude has changed. He's fighting back. He's responding to treatment. What did you do to that boy? Well, later the boy said to the nurse, They wouldn't send a teacher to work on nouns and adverbs with a boy who was dying, would they? Folks, hope is so important. You see, Jesus came to a sinful world to redeem sinners. And he offers to us forgiveness and hope. We ought never feel hopeless. As long as he's on the throne, then we have hope because our hope is in him. Our gracious Father and God, we thank you for the Lord Jesus who gave his life to give us life. And Lord, I pray today for those who need your hope that you would stir their hope to life. Be with those who do not know you. Bring them to Christ, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen just a moment we're going to sing a stand the choir's going to sing we extend an invitation if you're here without Christ to trust him if you're looking for a church home our doors are open to you we'd love to have you stand with me please as we stand and they sing you come I'll greet you as you do much for worshiping with us today we live in a world that has lost a great deal of hope, but our hope is in Jesus Christ. If you are struggling and need hope, you're going to find it in Him. We have counselors standing by. They'd love to talk with you and pray with you. The number's on your screen. Let me encourage you to call right now. God bless you as you do.
Let me remind you or notify you that Awanas and our discipleship classes will be held this evening at 5 o'clock. And uh, so you will want to be here for that. Sarah Boone, where are you, Sarah? Where? Yell out or something so I can see. I, I don't know where you are, Sarah. I see a lot of fingers being, and I'm following right back there. All right. There is a, an article in the paper that uh, Sarah was student of the month at Dutch Fork Elementary. Emma Devonport, where's Emma? Where? She's not here? Weather's bad. Well, <laughs> Emma had, well, received first place for the fifth grade science fair for Lexington School District 5, and we're proud of her anyway. <laughs> Is um, Jessica Parks here? Jim Roark? Where? There they are. There's a great article in the magazine about y'all. I saw it. It's titled, Two Worlds Collide, A Southern Sweetheart and Her Boy from Boston. So it's a great article in here, and I congratulate you. There is uh, no college lunch today. When you go out, there are these little cards that the ushers will have, little business cards. I'm going to ask you to take two or three of them because it is about uh, Keith and, and Kristen Getty. And you just take two or three of these cards and invite someone to come with you on the 14th in the evening. It's a great opportunity for us. You're going you're gonna to enjoy it. They have, now, you'll like some of their music, some of it you won't like. Uh, I say that in faith, but, you know, you probably, some of you probably won't. I, I love all of it. It is, uh, they're Irish, they're from Ireland, and there's a little Irish uh, melody beat to it. And, it's, it is, and then, of course, you're familiar with the, some of the hymns they've written. I've said that they are writing the greatest hymns that have been written in the last hundred years. But they'll have a, they'll have a band. But I'm, I'm, what I'm saying is that you young people are going to like some of it. More than others, because there is a it, it's it's a little Irish beat to some of it, but you're all going to like it. It is just wonderful. So bring your friends, and they are fabulous. Come here, Steve. I know you're doing something back don't, there. I'm not doing anything. Don't put me on this. <laughs> well, I, I mean, don't you agree with what I just said? I, anything you say, I agree with. Well, not sure. I mean, they yeah, they're, they're wonderful. We were with them in Spartanburg last mm -hmm. year, and they're just absolutely wonderful. They have some of the Celtic feel to some of their songs. They'll, and uh, Deborah Clem plays the violin with them. She's incredible. They're You'll really be blessed. They have a, a leprechaun on the uh, steel do. guitar, and the, the pastor. Right. Y'all see the pastor when he starts. I'll building do it. it. I'll do it. It's it's. We're gonna have a good time. You'll want to be here. Don't miss. Don't miss that. All right, let's stand together as we're dismissed. And if you have any prayer needs, these deacons with the red badgers on, be happy to pray about any need that you have. But get these, bring someone. You're, they will, it's something that you can bring your friends to, and they will enjoy it. Gracious Father, thank you for your goodness. Lord, I pray that we might leave with our eyes focused on Jesus. Lord, sometimes we are tempted to lose our hope. But as long as you're on the throne, we have hope. I praise you for who you are in Christ's name.